It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. Hi, I'm Teresa. And I'm Amy. We are two ordinary moms looking for inspiration wherever we can find it. Hey, the feel-good nugget I found this week, did you hear about that student from Cornell that made 30000 off the GameStop stock? Did you hear about that? No? I only from little, little, little pieces. Okay, well, he made 30000 and then ended up, instead of pocketing the money, donating it and buying uh, Nintendo Switch games for the children's hospital. I think that's so awesome. Yeah, he's good. yeah, he's only twenty, and he's a student from Cornell, and donated it to a children's hospital in Minnesota. So very cool. Yeah, I just thought that was you know feel good story. Yeah, good people doing good things. Okay, so everyone has heard of Rosa Parks, the mother of the civil rights movement. She helped launch the Montgomery bus boycott when she was arrested on December 1st in 1955 for refusing to give up her seat to a white man. It was the first large-scale demonstration against segregation in the U.S. and it introduced us to a 26-year-old pastor who had helped lead the boycott named Martin Luther King Jr. They met the day after her arrest, both her and Rosa Parks, and discussed the boycott strategies and I was floored with their requests, and I'll get your take on it. Number one, <laughs> courteous treatment by bus operators. That's just like common, yeah, that's crazy. Number two, passengers seated on first-come, first-served basis with the black people in the back half of the bus and the white people in the front half of the bus. Still segregated, but they just wanted first-come, first-served, and you stayed in your spot. So I still, I mean, foreign to me, but... And then their third request was for black people to be employed as bus operators on routes predominantly taken or ridden by um, black riders. So I don't think those it's so are, so reasonable, you know. Yeah, just common uh, that, common sense. Uh, I don't know. Even asked to have to boycott to ask for that, but anyway. So they dispersed flyers at churches, and on Saturday, December third, then right after Rosa Parks had been arrested, the Women's Political Council printed out and circulated a flyer that read, quote, another woman has been arrested and thrown in jail because she refused to get up out of her seat on the bus for a white person to sit down. It's the second time since Claudette Colvin, who we're going to be talking about, that a Negro woman has been arrested for the same thing. This has to be stopped. Negroes have rights too, for if Negroes did not ride the buses, they could not operate. Three-fourths of the riders are Negroes. Yet we are arrested or have to stand over empty seats. If we do not do something to stop these arrests, they'll continue. The next time it may be you or your daughter or mother. This woman's case will come up on Monday. We're therefore asking every Negro to stay off buses Monday in protest of the arrest and trial. Don't ride the buses to work, to town, to school, or anywhere on Monday. You can afford to stay out of school for one day if no other way is to to go except the bus. You can afford to stay out of town for one day. If you work, take a cab or walk. But please, children and grown-ups, don't ride the bus at all on Monday. Please stay off all buses Monday. And after that Monday, it was evident that the black community was in support. They decided to continue the boycott, and enough riders participated in it that it caused 
economic distress. And Martin Luther King noted that it was a, quote, miracle had taken place, which I thought was yeah. yeah. Just the working together and just the, I mean, it just was something so simple and so basic. But anyway, they worked together as United Front. Black cab drivers charged 10 cents for their fares. So that was equivalent of what a bus fare would have been. Bar owners volunteered their vehicles. And I read that some white housewives drove their black domestic workers to their jobs, which Wow. Inspiring. That's great. Yeah. That's... I know. Some good people out there. Yeah. Yeah. It was so effective that the city pressured local insurance companies to stop insuring cars used in these carpools to get black people to... Whoa. Yeah. Um, They got creative with rides. City officials even ordered a fine for cab drivers charging less than 45 cents per fare. So if they were charging the 10 cents per fare, they were find for that so people got creative and they were riding bikes a lot of people were rocking and apparently the sidewalks were super crowded and even people across the country would send shoes because more people were walking and they needed you know they were going through more shoes so i was inspired with people being helpful in that area but a little bit discouraged with all of the anger and um too often violence that they found that they faced Martin Luther King's house and uh, four Baptist churches were bombed. And King gave a speech to 300 rightly angry blacks after the bombings. I can't even fathom this, but he said to them, if you have weapons, take them home. If you do not have them, please do not seek to get them. We cannot solve this problem through retaliatory violence. We must meet violence with nonviolence. Remember the words of Jesus. He who lives by the sword will perish by the sword. We must love our white brothers no matter what they do to us. We must make them know that we love them. Jesus still cries out in words that echo across the centuries. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Pray for them that despitefully use you. This is what we must live by. We must meet hate with love. I love that part. We must meet hate with love. Love, yeah. I do not do that because God with the movement go home with glowing faith and this radiant assurance. So I just, I, I was so moved that Martin Luther King Jr. He's only 26. So young. Wow. Yeah. So wise at nonviolent ways to try to, you know, progress their, their cause, I guess. Uh, I was very disappointed to read that J. Edgar Hoover noted the, quote, agitation among Negroes and tried to find derogatory information on King. King and 88 of the boycotters were indicted for conspiring to interfere with business under a 1921 ordinance. So this is, what, 55? and wow, you're 30. Going back to a 1921 ordinance. Yeah, just crazy. As an act of defiance, they opted to turn themselves in rather than wait to be arrested, which, once again, class act and the proper way to go about it. Instead of discouraging the boycott, though, it only ignited the flame, which I was encouraged. Um, It raised national awareness with the press King received, and and he stated, quote, 
I was proud of my crime. It was a crime of joining my people in a nonviolent protest against injustice. Support of the boycott increased across the country, adding pressure from, uh, for the government to respond. And I think what I loved just so much about him is that he was nonviolent. Right. And so no peaceful. matter what, he, he just loved your enemies, loved them, loved them. And, and no matter how he's treated, that his home would have a bomb in it, that all these churches and the things that were done to them said to them, and he still loved his enemies. I mean, he really lived what he preached. Right, right. And their strength, you know, yeah. that, that would have needed the, to be. I just, I, it's so foreign to me. But anyway, um, technically before all of this started, it, it began really with Claudette Colvin. Nine months before Rosa Parks was arrested, Claudette Colvin was arrested for refusing to give up her seat on the same bus system. Claudette actually was Rosa Parks' inspiration. So Rosa Parks, the seamstress, wasn't just tired that day as, you know, they're like, I was just tired. It, I mean, it definitely was a well-orchestrated and planned political statement. Claudette hadn't thought through her, her you know, plan when she had done it nine months before. Um, but she decided to take a stand on the day she was arrested. She was just 15 years old. Young lady taking wow. the bus home. Yeah. I mean, 15? I, I can't even remember what I was doing. But uh, she and her girlfriends had been uh, dismissed from school early and decided to ride the bus home that day. They all attended a segregated high school, which still, yeah. <laughs> just, I can't get that either. But anyway, they, um, that month had been studying black leaders for, quote, Negro History Month. Um, she talks about learning about Harriet Tubman, the runaway slave who led 13 missions with the Underground Railroad and freed close to 70 slaves. And she also learned about Sojourner, how do you say it? Truth. Sojourner, truth. I, th I think so. Um, the former slave who would become an abolitionist, women's rights advocate, and deliver her famous Ain't I a Woman speech. Um... So on March 2nd, 1955, my mom was only a year old when, she'll love that I said that, <laughs> when, when this group of teenagers were asked to give up their seats for a young white woman, and, and they were on part of the bus where they were supposed to be. They weren't in the white section. They right, right. So anyway, when, they, when the young white woman entered the bus, her friends accepted it and moved. But Claudette Colvin refused, and she said, if it would have been someone pregnant or, I mean, if there would have been a reason, absolutely. But she was in the right spot. She had paid her fare. And she'd later say that it felt like Sojourner Truth was pushing on one shoulder and Harriet Tubman was on the other. And in an interview to NPR in 2009, she noted that history was gluing her to that seat, which oh, I thought was... I love that. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, she's... Yeah. Just so wise for a young person. Um, she was tired of injustices, like not being able to eat at the lunch counter or even try on clothes at a department store. So this I didn't even realize was a thing. They couldn't try on clothes because they might have, you know, I don't know. I, I don't even know. Yeah. But she had to trace her foot on a brown paper bag when she wanted some fancy patent leather shoes. So her mom would take, you know, the, the 
paper bag print of her foot and matched that to her shoe size because she wasn't allowed to try on shoes. I, oh, yeah, shaking my head. So while she hadn't planned to make a statement that day, fate and her bravery, bravery certainly took over. Her classmates got up and moved as they were told because, you know, they were used to that. But Colvin stayed put. She had paid her bus fare and was sitting in the black section, so she continued to repeat that it was her constitutional right. Two officers forced her off, to the, off the bus, and her friend said that her school bus uh, books went flying off her lap. She was handcuffed because she was forced, you know, pulled off the bus. She was handcuffed and taken to an adult jail. That's the other thing. This is oh. a 15-year-old. Taking, taken to an adult prison, not juvenile hall, she would, st- she would say in an interview later when she was 69 that she could still hear the lock of the prison door. She was that scared. And in her panic, through her thoughts and tears, she just continued to recite the Lord's Prayer. Her cell had a broken sink and a cot without a mattress. So I'm like, even though she was only there for three hours, which three hours, I mean, a minute. I, yeah. For sure, for 15, yeah. Yeah, you don't know when they're coming. You don't know if they're coming. You don't know if they're going to be able to get you out. And part of the reason they, they had the pastor come is that he had a car. So it just, it, all of this is, yeah. So she didn't have a mattress on her cot. And after about three scary hours, she was bailed out by her mother and pastor. And after her release, her father would sleep with a shotgun by their bed because he was worried about retaliation from the KKK, which was a very real worry. And that's right, right. I just, I, yeah. So Claudette Colvin and Rosa Parks knew each other well. Rosa Parks was the secretary for the NAACP, which is, um, I hate this. But the National Association for the Advancement of Color People, and they attended the same church. And Claudette Colvin would say that she became very active in her youth group, and they'd meet every Sunday. So I love that. This all was. Wow, I didn't know the connection there. Yeah, I mean, they knew each other and um, had a mutual respect and admiration for each other. Um, so so then I, I was wondering, like, why does everyone know about Rosa Parks, but so few of us have heard about. Claudette Colvin, and even you know that drunk history that I went back and rewatched. They were talking to young men in Montgomery, Alabama, and they asked. They, they were talking about I can't even remember the something about the best boy thought, and they're like, and what? About, and they said, you know, Rose Parks, and they're like, and what about that Claudette Colvin? And the guys are all like, I gotta be honest with you, I don't even know who that is. And these are three young black guys. That I, I just was like, everyone should know who this person is. So Colvin noted that Parks had the right image and the face for the resistance of, to segregation. So she understood that she wasn't necessarily the poster child. Her hair was better, her complexion, and it was more suiting. So she concluded, concluded that Rosa Parks had the looks that would associate more with the middle class. And they'd take her more seriously. They would respect it, making her a better poster child than a young teenager who, sadly, soon after her arrest, did find herself pregnant. So then you, you know, I, I think in, it probably was very hard to make that decision with you're trying to make progress and do you really want to have a teenager 
is pregnant. Right. You know, just a lot of, unfortunately. Hardships. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of hardships, definitely. And they didn't want any negative press that would jeopardize their cause. And thought it, Colvin at the time had, you know, possible things that could put a damper on it. They decided that Rosa Parks was the safer choice. But uh, not only was Claudette Colvin the first person arrested for refusing to move on a public bus, but she also was part of the historic Bowder versus Gale lawsuit in 1956. And anytime I see lawsuits, I'm just like, my eyes gloss, you know. Yeah. (laughs) They gloss over. And Claudette and five other plaintiffs filed a complaint with the federal courts regarding the bus segregation. And unfortunately, one of the original plaintiffs had to back out due to threats and um, just intimidation, which sad. But 17-year-old Claudette Colvin was not intimidated. So two adults, two teenagers testified before a three-judge panel, and she didn't let that intimidation stop her. They ruled that the state and local laws with bus segregation were unconstitutional. So technically, they were getting more than that first three-step that Martin Luther King and Rose Parks and that whole group had kind of discussed about. So the ruling was, of course, appealed and sent to the Supreme Court. But um, on November 13, 1956, the Supreme Court upheld the district court's ruling and the bus boycott officially ended on December 20th in 1956 after 381 days. Wow. That's what I didn't realize. That's a long time. Yeah. I mean, that they were willing to... That's a lot of... Walking? Walking. No wonder they needed the shoes. I, know, I mean, I was thinking at first it was like a week. No. That's and I think a- most people do. And like me and my naive, just ignorant self, had no idea that it was over a year. Wow. That they had to put up with that. But And the patience. I mean... Yeah. And just realize, you know, believing that they were doing the right thing and doing it peacefully. Right. And that was the thing. So it was, in my mind, more than a victory in Montgomery. The boycott ignited activism from the South and momentum for the National Civil Rights Movement. It introduced, you know, this young 26-year-old black pastor leader, Martin Luther King Jr., who would spend his life fighting for injustice through peaceful measures. And that's what I so admired about him. He was peaceful and loving and read scripture and um, lived scripture. Yeah, lived it. I, yeah. I guess that's exactly what it is. He wasn't just perhaps what I preached. He was doing it. So Clement had sparked a movement reminding me that it all could make a difference. Bill Hoos wrote a book aimed at teenagers uh, for teen readers because he felt that too many of us were missing perspective. Their stories about men in suits, and he was talking about John Lewis and Martin Luther King Jr. and others that were men in suits doing, you know, working for the cause, absolutely, but he felt that there was a, a part missing. Uh, he felt like there wasn't a lot about young people in general, right. or women, especially women. But his book reminds us, and it was on Claudette Colvin, of one young female advocate and a woman I can definitely learn from. I'm also so impressed with her grace and acceptance for not being the Rosa Parks. Because right. really, technically, nine months before that, she, nine months before Rosa Parks, she did the very same thing. So she could have had all that publicity. I mean, not that she wanted it or right. anything, but I'm, my small self, 
would have a problem with being overlooked and kind of feeling like I was rejected. Right. Because it would feel like rejection when this cause took up Rosa Parks because she looked the part and was, you know, had a job, was an adult. And I, I don't know. I just feel like that would really, really hurt my feelings. She's a better human than I am as far as looking more at the cause rather than more for the, the big picture, I guess, rather than just herself. When she was asked in uh, 2000, she noted to the Montgomery advertiser, quote, I'm not disappointed. Let the people know that Rosa Parks was the right person for the boycott, but also let them know that the attorneys took four other girls to the Supreme Court to challenge the law that led to the end of segregation. And that, I think, is what's so amazing. Because for her refusing to get up from the white person on the bus that it, it sparked yeah, all. It yeah. caused all this. Yeah. So our recap of Claudette Colvin, I was impressed that a 15 year old girl could spark such a movement. Yeah. No, ki- no kidding. Um, and there, are, I think it's also noteworthy to say there are a few women prior to Rosa Parks who quietly wouldn't give up their seat on the bus system, and they were fine. And like Claudette, no insane. one, that's no one was heard, so sad to me. heard about them. Fine, and they accepted it, which I is absolutely what I would do too. But right. it just broke my heart, and it quietly went away. Yeah. yeah, because they just accepted the consequence, kind of like her her classmates. I love that March 2nd is now Claudette Colvin Day um, and that they, she had a streetcar named after her, or a street named after her, not a streetcar, but a street named after her. It's about time. I was just so impressed with um, that, you know, she was inspired and didn't have like the necessarily grooming and teaching like Rosa mm-hmm. Parks did to do this type of mm-hmm. protest, but just. By her own heart. Yeah. You know, everybody coming together with both their, um, you know, Rosa Parks did have different things to offer. Obviously, Martin Luther King Jr. had different things to offer. They all meshed together, bringing their strengths to the cause. Right. And I loved that it was all peaceful. And, like, I read that both Rosa Parks and Claudette Colvin kind of disappeared from the limelight in parts because of, um, in part because of, like, it turned more Malcolm X and more at times violent and Martin Luther King Jr. was not a part of that. So I think it, it kind of evolved into something they weren't. So that's what I love about just the innocence of this, even this ridiculous that they had to do it. I thought it was sad that Rosa Parks had to leave um, Montgomery, felt like she had to leave Montgomery in 1957. And then, uh, Claudette Colvin in 1958 left for New York because being in Montgomery, they were, you know, labeled troublemakers. So even though they had made this national progress, they, in their hometown, they were not accepted. Right. I just also really love that, that she, I don't know. I love that she was praying. I just, yeah. that, that spoke to me that during that, um, that also just talks, speaks to her faith that, kind of guide, guided her through mm-hmm. all of that. Well, I think what's so sad is that so many people demonize the things that they did. But in actuality, if you read a lot of this stuff, it was for really right reasons. Right. 
Right. So, I mean, even that her pastor came and helped get her out of jail. I'm like, yeah. So, um, I was happy that she got to spend 35 years being a nurse's assistant. So she moved on from this, had a real, you know, had a good life, retired in 2004, had two sons. Sadly, one died in 1993 of a heart attack, but her other son is in Atlanta as an accountant. So I was happy that she lived another life. I mean, she really got to live basically without having the press or anything hounding her her whole life, like possibly other people. But I was happy she had a successful, it seems like, happy life. Right, yeah. Um, And then I was especially excited that... As I said, they are starting, things are starting to catch up. She has, you know, that book out on her. And um, May 20th in 2018, Joe Crowley, she got the Joe Crowley Lifetime Commitment to Public Service with a Congressional Certificate and an American Play. And I'm just excited that even, you know, on Oprah's page, or you're just reading more about Claudette Colvin. Right. And I love that, you know, possibly less educated than some and maybe doesn't have the look that maybe some wanted, but that didn't stop her. And she started a huge movement. So, and just with grace and, and, um, humility, I guess she just was just tired of it. She was just tired of stuff and just wanted to find her place. That's Claudette Colvin, who is still alive and well, thankfully. Um, I did the other person I I kind of just wanted to my little happy nugget was actually Philip Hoos, who wrote a book in um I believe, don't quote me on this, 2009 on um Claudette Colvin twice toward justice, and it's available on Amazon. But what I loved about him, he um went to school for both he's a writer but then he's also uh he thinks about the environment and conserving he in 2009 won the national book award for young people's literature um i'm super excited to read i was telling you about this the boys who challenged hitler and canoe peterson and churchill club they're young war heroes oh wow yeah never heard of yeah but he also wrote a book on um moonbird which some red knot bird that must have flown the distance of the moon like from here to the moon and it's nonfiction, which i love nonfiction anyway so he's won a gazillion awards so with him working 37 years at the Nature Conservancy, I already was a huge fan. So he's an author. Um, I guess he used to write adult, like adult books for adults, not like how it sounds, but books for adults. But then adults, he um, kind of evolved into children's books more so because of his his kids. But then. Um, I was also reading that he's a songwriter, a performing musician, and a founding member of the Children's Music Network. So I just think, um, I, I, I just loved that he was an author trying to get history out there to young people. And it just, I, I don't know, he sounded like uh, someone that I would like to be friends with. So Philip Hoos was my little nugget of happy person. and. That is it for Claudette Colvin 
day. Like and subscribe. Follow Transgential Inspiration on Facebook.